0: This is the show that pulls back the industry curtain. We're exploring pop culture, music icons, and food gods. It's the Jeremiah Show, and he's your radio host. And now, back from a race around the sun, Jeremiah Higgins.
1: It's the Jeremiah Show and Evolve Entertainment, featuring its radio with TV's Tim Stack, Mike Gormley presents Music Icons, The Arwen Lewis Show, and The Angel Baby Show. Welcome to The Jeremiah Show. You take music with you. You take it in your head, in your heart, and it lives in your actions. Music marks the milestones in your life. It marks the minutes and the hours. The days and then the years, music comes back to you. It is found and then it's lost. A favorite but discarded song will re enter your life when you least expect it, and it can bring back memories or it can open old wounds. Music can bring back those incredibly strong moments that have marked you. Nothing else. Does this so powerfully? Music lives longer than you. Music is passed down to your children. It is passed among your friends. Music is a shared experience. My special guest today is Jojo Foote. Jojo was introduced to me by Radio Candy Media founder Mark Platt. We're mutual friends. Mark sent me. This email one morning, it simply stated, this guy has been around. I like the music and he works with a lot of the top writers and producers in the music industry. His name is Jojo Foote. So the introduction was made and Jojo and I made quick friends and he shared his music with me, which I will in turn share with you on today's episode throughout the show, I always spend four to six hours preparing for an interview because I feel like the guest that has agreed to talk to me and you deserves the honor of really kind of getting to know who they are, and then it's my job to do the best that I can hopefully. Get to know that guest for you. Bring them to you. Everybody that's on the show, I feel like is so special. And Jojo Foot is one of those guys that has some great stories for us here today. And so you know what, almost seven hundred shows. Many of them are music artists' interviews over the years, and I've come to expect the information that I'm going to get sent by the management or the PR on the artist and their bio. They are all They are all pretty much the same format. The artist's musical resume is based on what a typical radio or podcast host will probably ask during the interview. And most artists, I think, have trained themselves to be ready for these basic questions. Because most radio hosts only have about 7 to 10 minutes to get the information to you and play a new song. They feel a little bit cookie-cutter. Kind of like you're going through a factory. Uh, So, those questions are typically when did you first discover music? Who were your inspirations? When did you pick up your first musical instrument? And so on. So, as I read JoJo's bio, these usual highlights stuck out on his biography. But when I finished reading, I thought, this didn't tell me who. Jojo Foot is as a person, as an artist, the human being. I wanted to know more. So, as I pondered and prepared my questions for Jojo, something began to stick out to me on the bio. It was the various cities and towns that he had lived in. And I began to imagine the roads, the valleys, the nights, and the days in between in Jojo's musical journey. Because oftentimes it's those small towns or those big cities that we come from, those small neighborhoods and the friends and the experiences of our youth into adulthood that shape us the most. Those places often become, as I've been told in the many years of interviews, that the cities and towns and people become a almost a muse for the artist based on loves he found loves lost inspiration and lessons learned so following the calling of the music jojo's journey took him from his hometown of san francisco to los angeles and it reminded me of these lyrics in a song by uh, counting crows mrs potter's lullaby well,
2: woke up in mid-afternoon because that's when it all- I never know anyone at the party And I'm always the host If dreams are like movies Then memories are films about ghosts
1: So I'm going to take you into these cities And down these roads in JoJo's life with him Throughout this interview Stay with us It's a really great story I'll be right back Like to watch subscribe to the jeremiah show on youtube
3: hi this is jojo foot you can hear me on spotify my new singles plain sight and shattered glass you're listening to the jeremiah show be nice to each other and don't touch that gun.
1: Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. We're in San Francisco with Jojo Foote. All right, Jojo, I want to get to know you, like I said in the intro there. Um, So let's start with like, where did you live in San Francisco? Where did you grow up?
4: I was born and raised in San Francisco and I grew up on a town about
3: 12, 15 miles south of the city, a little bedroom community called Belmont. And I had eight brothers and sisters, and we shared one bathroom. And that's a true story. Okay. Eight that could brothers. be a whole show in itself, though.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's a whole episode. Let's do five segments.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> All right. Eight brothers and sisters, you shared one bathroom, small yeah. house. I can, I'm i yeah. imagining that. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. All
1: right. So what, what was the street that you grew up on? Can you say?
3: Um, I, I could, if you'd like to hear it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I are your parent? is your family still there? I don't want you don't no, have to, you know, no, address. No,
3: no. Okay. it was on Golden Avenue. So fans stay away. I don't live there anymore.
1: What was it called? Golden Avenue? Hillman. Okay. Hillman. Where was your favorite place as a kid? Where'd your, were they all brothers or the.
4: No, uh, okay. I had, um, four brothers and four sisters. Oh my God.
1: Well, there you go. Irish Catholic. That, that makes sense. Uh, that sounds like a fun family to grow up in. Actually, probably a lot of, a lot of fights, a lot of fighting over clothes and food and stuff. <laughs> uh, I
3: it's, it was just but, fun uh, watching the two older sisters get ready on dates. Cause I, would uh, be, I was the eighth in line. So I was pretty young. And I used to go in there and just mess with them all the time. So
1: no, the oldest were t- the oldest of your siblings were two were sisters. There were two sisters.
3: Yeah, two sisters, uh, Maureen and, and Janice were my older sisters. And um they would be getting ready in the bathroom to for a date or something like that when they were probably 16 or so and I'd be like five or six and I would go in there and you know you know seize some of their clothes and I'd take it and run. And they would just be chasing me all over the house. Give me back my clothes. You know, I've never just, you know, typical little brother.
1: Typical yeah. little brother.
3: Little devil I was. Yep, I was.
1: <laughs> they hated you and loved you at the same time. I'm sure they loved you more than they got mad at you.
3: Yeah, oh, we have a great relationship now. But back then it was, uh, you know, stay out of my way kind of a thing.
1: Yeah, out of my room. That's the duty of a small brother, though, that you were just fulfilling your obligation under the yeah, contract. absolutely. Really- on the little brother contract.
3: <laughs> well, it was. It, 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 my father used to, you know, come home and he would read the newspaper and he would be putting, he would put cotton in his ears. And I used to wonder one, you know, why did he do that all the time? Because there was so much commotion, he just tuned everything out. And he would take one ear plug out and say, "As long as you boys aren't killing each other, I don't need to know." And he put it back in and start reading the paper.
1: <laughs> that's a smart smart man he had to unwind after work huh what did your yeah. father do uh
3: he was a supervisor for california water service um he to describe him he looked like henry fonda mm-hmm. and he talked like henry fonda because they were both from nebraska so they had that very midwestern mellow kind of tone and dry humor um he used to just have all these little funny little sayings and i I still use them to this day, and I used to hate them when I was a teenager, especially, because your dad would embarrass you. If one of the kids said, you know, hey, wait, wait for something, he'd say, wait, that's what broke the wagon down. Or if you said, <laughs> you know, hey, he'd say, straw's cheaper. Uh, things oh, like gosh. that. Yeah, he was he was just a care. I, he must have got it from my grandfather, who I never had the pleasure of meeting, but uh, that dry wit kind of carried over to me a little bit. but. Uh,
1: <laughs>
3: I, I a yeah, household of kids let's just say that and and he had he would he, how he kept his sanity to it all i'll never know
1: man crazy do you have any kids
3: i have two daughters your daughter yeah. i do okay. very yeah. cool
1: so, so your father uh um, was the supervisor yeah water service okay and your mother i imagine she with all those kids she she probably had to take Care of all of you and raise you right yeah right. she
3: stayed home mom until i think until the youngest my younger sister turned you know teenage years or, or maybe 13 14 she took a job at the uh, hilton hotel in the uh, gift shop mm. she just you know just she needed to get out
1: <laughs> yeah um but what an important job and um obviously she did a great job of,
3: oh yeah no she what was,
1: i know she, of you so far
3: very strong Irish mother. She was from Boston and her parents were immigrants from Ireland. And, um, she had the greatest Bostonian accent and, uh, she never understood what the accent was, but, you know, everything was pop the car. Yeah. You know?
1: <laughs> you know, I think, it, I think the Boston accent, the the heavy one is my favorite accent. I, yeah, just, I, I hear it. I just love when I, you know, from uh, Marky e. Mark and all his brothers. Oh, to yeah. anybody. My grandfather was from Boston, too. So, I, Peralt, he was a Frenchman. But I've never been. Can you believe that? I've got to get there. How about oh, you? Awesome.
3: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Several times. Yeah.
1: Well, let yeah. me ask you so, with this big family, Irish Catholic family, a lot going on, uh, oh, yeah. four brothers, four sisters. um, uh, was there a lot of music in the house? It seems like to me I'm imagining a lot of music.
3: Yes, definitely. Um well dad was really into the jazz swing music era, you know. Um Who and were your
1: favorites? Who are your
3: dad's oh, favorites? My dad's favorites? Um Harry James, um Artie Shaw, Benny Goodman. Um, He actually saw benny goodman perform uh my my dad's a lot older than me because i was so young when i was born i was the eighth you know
1: was there a song a jazz song by one of those that you mentioned that in for in your mind almost defines that period for you a little bit you hear it and you go back Um,
3: For my that makes me think of my dad
1: yeah
3: oh yeah um it was a benny goodman song i think it's uh Oh, what's it called? I think it's um, Swinging at the Savoy. Is that it? I, don't know. I can't remember the name of it. That one, and Begin the beginning, I know he liked that one. He um, used to say this, though, this is a very funny thing about my dad, because my older brothers, you know, would talk about the pop fans and, you know, various groups that came out and, and used to get into arguments with him about, you know, because he'd always be saying, you know, you know, that, your music's too loud. It's whatever. You know, then you listen to the Who or The Beatles or something. Well, one day, my brother was talking to him and saying something. Of, they were talking uh, about greatest composers. And my dad was, of course, mentioning people like Gershwin and some of the classics, you know, that uh, that he liked and, and and some of the jazz artists from, you know, Count Basie to Benny Goodman and Tony Shaw. And he... My brother would say, you know, Dad, the, the, the John Lennon and Paul McCarty are the greatest musical composers ever. And he, he looked straight in my brother's eye and said, You know, the only good Beatles song is when it's performed by Harry James. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess Harry James had covered one of the Beatles songs. I think it was Michelle or one of those songs. So he says, I like the Beatles when they're played by somebody else.
1: <laughs> somebody that I love.
3: <laughs> yeah, something, it
1: yeah. He, um,
3: he, he, it was his way.
1: Uh-huh. Uh, so you're an incredible musician, incredibly talented. It, does it run in the family? Was, were there musicians before? Because your uh, father and your mother weren't musicians, or were they? I mean, how did the, no, how did the music uh, find you?
3: No, my dad... Uh, he played the clarinet a little bit, very amp, you know, just for fun, kind of a thing. And my, but my older brothers, uh, three of them, could play. Well, my oldest brother played sax and clarinet in like marching bands in school. And uh, but my two other brothers, the middle ones, both played guitar. And one of my brothers went on to Broadway and got. It was very big on acting. He got actually got a scholarship in drama. Uh, to Notre Dame and he dropped out after one year because his drama teacher just said you are ready for stage bigger things right now so he went off to New York and did theater and but he was also an incredible musician um, I mean technically better than me you know uh, I, I, maybe I, I got more of a songwriting trait you know but him as a musician was, I learned a lot from him you know, picking up on things and you know style of music, what he was playing, techniques, things like that. Um, I mean, I'm a guitar player, but I played bass in my bands usually. I've only I played guitar in some bands, but um, I'm more considered a bass player. When I did do a session or whatnot, I'm usually it's for my bass playing than it is my guitar playing. But um, and then my other brother uh, played guitar, uh, but never took it any further than just you know parties and things like that. But yeah, I got a lot of influence from my family in terms of listening to music, understanding it, and just the raw emotion of it, picking up on, you know, you know how songs are written. And I was really interested in that from an early age. I mean, I started playing guitar around the age of six because there were guitars lying down. But where I was at a disadvantage was being born left-handed. My other brothers were writing it, so I couldn't just... Played their guitars right-handed. I had to flip them upside down. Play, play them. Uh, play the strings upside down, and have to kind of make chords out of it.
1: What an uh, interesting way to learn the guitar!
3: It was really the only way to do it. But I did it, and I got pretty good at it. And by the time I was around twelve or thirteen, I really started to want to write songs, write my own songs. You know, so I was, you know listening more to the composers, I mean, you know, songwriters of that era, and of classic rock, like going back to Stones, you know, Pete Townsend, but also the current stuff that was out. And uh, I found myself it found, found myself uh, being really troubled by trying to figure out some of these chords because my guitar was upside down, these strings were upside down. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you switch the strings around, you know? And again, I'm about 12 years old, so I didn't have the foresight to go. Oh, duh. that's a good idea, and then I could learn the co- chords proper. So that's what I did, and I took one guitar class, and it was just enough so I could learn the names of the chords because I knew where my fingers needed to go once I learned the positions. And then I was off, and then it was like, oh my gosh, this whole, you know, there's a whole palette out there of yeah. musical ideas and i just fed off of that and started to you know draw from that and and play my own chord structures and put songs together and then try to put melodies on top of
1: it so what did your sisters listen to
3: my sisters listening to um older sisters definitely would be the 60s 70s classics
1: okay how about your brothers? You were Led Zeppelin, Beatles that you mentioned. Yeah, they were um, yeah,
3: same, kind of the same. I
1: mean, yeah, so uh, you were all the kids were all listening to one type of music, right? Is that right? Oh yeah. And yeah. then, but you did you appreciate the jazz or was it was that just the first thing that you were exposed to? Really, from that your dad loved.
4: Uh, I'll
3: I'll tell you a quick little story, if I may. Um, when I was ten years old, my dad took me to see Woody Herman and his Thundering Herd. The name "Thundering" in the band name is enough to lurk my attention.
2: Yeah, <laughs> got mine. Where <laughs> right you
3: putting it? Um, so I went because, sure, when you're ten years old, you get to go out at night to a concert. Sure.
1: Um, had you be- had you been to a concert yet before this? No, this is I your first not. concert.
3: I, I, well, I mean, if you count watching my brother's band play and things like that at dances, but, uh, like
1: a real this a is real like concert, a real, sit down theater. Yeah.
3: yeah, this was in uh, uh gosh, where was it? Was it was at the old. I guess it was the Warfield, maybe. I couldn't remember the name of the theater. Um, it was on Market Street. Anyway, we go there, and um, my dad gets out his cotton that he kept it kept in his pocket i told you about earlier and he puts it in his ears before the show even starts and he's looking over at me and i'm going what are you doing dad what are you putting cotton in your ears for this just you wait (laughs) and that band came out and every horn player had a mic on his horn and wow, just blasted out the opening notes and it was just so loud I think my ears are still ringing from that show alone.
1: <laughs> so I got you. Well, uh, we got to take a real quick break here. I love okay. that. Tell me the name of the band again. I want to look. It was uh,
3: Woody Herman and his Thundering Herd. Woody they were the four- band. It wasn't the, all the it was, Woody was still alive, but um, it wasn't all the original band. They, they go back to like World War II era, I, I think.
1: i Uh, I, i've never i don't think i've ever heard of them or if i have i didn't register i don't know if i listened. yeah Um, they
3: were they were pretty well known for the time and uh but that was the loudest because it was a big jazz thing so anyway
1: well let me tell you before you go to break i want to can i don't know if you can do this i mean it's so hard i think to, to describe music but what did the what are the music that your brothers and sisters listen to Remember how like when it was that fresh when you just never heard it before, what that sounded like? Mm-hmm. Like if you can just in like a word or two describe what that sounded like and then in a word or two what jazz sounded like to you back then. If you can remember take oh. so a word or two that might describe that. So how I would you, how you heard it.
3: How I heard it. Um one word description maybe powerful. Um, the stuff that I was that I was really attracted to listen. you know, when I heard something that really attracted me, it would, you know, I'd want to listen to it over and over and over again. if It was that good. Um, as far as the jazz, um, I, I wish as a kid, like that first concert, I appreciated it. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't, you know, it was still my parents' generation. There was still sort of a gap then, you know, and yeah. we still had that sort of like, well, you know, your music is your music. Stuff I like, or the stuff my older brothers liked that were passed on to me, I like theirs better. The stuff they passed down to me was like, yeah, had that more um, impact. Yeah. And but as I got older in my teen years, I went to a few more jazz concerts with Dad, and I began to appreciate it. And I actually kind of got into it. I do, I wasn't moving towards it, to, you know, a musical career in that direction necessarily, but I understood it more. And the way the orchestra works together,
1: appreciated it's
3: just, it. Oh yeah, it was it was, you know, to me that was heaven. How Did you and your dad
1: together? ever? I'm sorry. You yeah, know, all just, how the
3: bands work together It was like heaven yeah. in a bottle, you know, and wow, yeah. so
1: yeah. I think powerful is a great way to, great way to describe you know how you, when you're a kid how that sound feels and sounds. Music, you know, that's new to you. And it's just wow. There's nothing else I'm, matters
3: after that. You know, you hear something how, can,
1: Yeah, and how's it? What? Why do I feel this way? You know, like why am I getting this energy? <laughs> uh, right. Did you ever go to? We got to take the break. I'm, I'm way over. But do we? Uh, did you ever go to Birdland in New York City with your dad? No. Or on your own?
3: No, I did not go to Birdland
1: jazz club. Yeah, uh, I know. The, yeah, yeah. The, the owner is a good friend of the show. I'm just wondering if you had been in there. Um, all right. We got to take a real quick break. This is great. Did I tell you it was going to be a great story? <laughs> Jojo Foot. He's my special guest today. He's a music artist. He's a songwriter. He's a session player as well. He's on Facebook and Instagram. You can find him at Jojo Foot On Instagram, it's actually Jojo Foot 98, but I think you get Jojo in there and it pops up. It did for me anyway. And follow him like I did and keep in touch and on track of what Jojo is up to. And it's always something good. In fact, I want to congratulate you. I don't know what date this is. I could probably find out. It was only one week ago. You made it to the number one spot on Radio India Alliance. The top 10. There's 75 and you got to number one. Jojo Foot, his new single is Plain Sight. Um, It's just incredible. We're going to play some music for you here. Let me tell you what we're going to go to break with. Uh, It's a new single, Shattered Glass. Love this one. Um yeah, again, Jojo Foot, music artist, songwriter, session player. Follow him. You can go to JojoFoot.bandcamp and buy his music, but you can also follow him anywhere, Spotify and all the major music uh platforms. We'll be right back. Here is Shattered Glass by Jojo Foot. Mm-hmm. Up, will you There is a lot going on here. Subscribe and always be in the no crowd. Hi, this is Sonny Emery, the drummer with Eric Clapton. Uh, we are uh coming up on the crossroads dates. So we'll see you at Crypto Arena on the 23rd and 24th of September. And you're listening to the Jeremiah Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. Oh, so we are in San Francisco. If you just left us, you left the story a few minutes ago with Jojo Foot. He's a musician. Uh, just a very, very talented guy. I and mean, you just heard uh where he's listening to right now. Devil Chase. Uh welcome back. So in San Francisco is where we left you. He's got eight four brothers, four sisters, big Irish Catholic family. They live in San Francisco. They're sharing one bathroom. How's that? How's that for an image? (laughs) Um, It's a house full of music, a house full of love, it sounds like, and a dad that appreciates jazz. What did your mom like to listen to? Uh,
4: Mom liked a lot of contemporary stuff, believe it or not.
3: I mean, she liked the classic stuff of her generation, but she also, you know, she liked the Beatles and not the, the hard-edged bands, but the ones that were, you know, more the singer-songwriter types. But, um, Thank you. yeah, I mean, she was she was really supportive of what we liked, kind of, but... Um,
1: so you guys weren't fighting over the radio or the, the stereo or whatever too much it doesn't sound like? It sounds yeah, like you uh, all can appreciate
4: No, I mean, my dad had a pretty good
3: sense of humor about it. He used to love to make fun of our music. It, you know, and, and, and make up words to what he thought they were saying, which would be hilarious. <laughs> you know, I used to have friends that said, "I just want to go over to your house so we can listen to your dad." And they would want to come over and get all, you know, they'd be all stoned and stuff, and they'd come over and walk, just to hear my dad say <laughs> weird stuff. So they'd be laughing like hysterically. I'm like, "What's so funny?" You know, it's just he'd yeah, make up like- words to Led Zeppelin songs that would just have you in stitches
1: yeah you were saying before the break that um your dad dad has these like old time old timey type sayings that are really corny you gotta yeah, have yeah. One for it? i like them do you got another yeah um, to to
3: to uh, let me think well you know when so, i told you before when someone says wait that's what broke the wagon down he'd say
2: yeah.
3: <laughs> um hey straw's cheaper um uh, whatever you'd say. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that he'd say that a lot if you said something serious. <laughs> um, you know, um, I don't. There was just a lot of them. I mean, uh, it, it, he would say, say for things like, you know, Washington's birthday would be a holiday. It's now it's Presidents' Day, but it was Washington's birthday. He would say it's it, it's George Birtherton's Wash Day.
1: You know things like that. Okay. All right. So by the age of thirteen, you started writing your own songs, and you were you started performing in local cover bands. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to kind of flash forward a little bit if you don't mind. Well, actually, let me let me ask before. (laughs) Were you alone when you were doing this? Were you popular? Like, were you one of those? Angsty teenage kids that's in the room writing and music and you know, you you know describe that time?
3: I was I was to be honest with you kind of um I wouldn't say a loner but I was kind of in a you know a little bit of a smaller clique if you will if you were you know called cliques in high school. I was pretty subconscious of my older brother doing the theater thing and he was very popular in high school. So by the time I got there, I was, you know, someone's little brother. It was that mm. more of that, but mm. you know, sometimes you could use that to your advantage too. So, I mean, it was great for getting introductions to girls and things like that. So,
4: right. Oh, you're his
3: brother. Yeah. So
4: um, <laughs> but you know, no, I, I really,
3: um, I mean, I, I didn't have any, you know, real bad issues, but I was, you know, kind of the loner in a sense, I, I mean, a loner in the sense that I didn't hang with a big group of people. It was just a select few friends that were, you know, mostly musicians that, or that were into putting a band together and, and it became kind of like our little family, our little group and really didn't care about, you know, other cliques in school and things like that. I mean, you know, just... I wanted to make music. I knew what I wanted to do when I was thirteen. I wanted to do this. I had Would no you, desire to do anything else.
1: Yeah, which took you down the coast to Los Angeles. Um, yeah, I was just thinking about my my own time in Los Angeles. I moved there when I was in my mid twenties, and and truthfully, I was a little scared because I I watched Colors and Training Day, those movies, you know, with gangsters. Yeah. And um, now I you know I realized how silly that was to be scared, but. For all of its dirtiness and its crime and glamour and everything, I think there's something pretty uniquely special about L.A. I mean, I really love L.A. and people say, what? How could you love L.A.? I love that it's difficult. I love that it's sometimes easy. You know, in my mind, it's a it's a I would describe it as like a a temptress of a city. (laughs) The streets are lined with the palm trees. Yeah. White stucco mansions. Um, but there's also this darkness behind its facade like it's it's really it's raw, it's real. would you agree with that?
3: I mean, yeah. yeah um it's you know when I first moved down there it, I was in a band called the missionaries i, I was a, a co-writer in that band um with another singer songwriter um, Zane Drake and we put this band together and we got an opportunity we got a spec deal at first with a recording studio in la and um out of that we got a small record deal with of when we were being courted by mca records and there were some issues with what they wanted to do with our demos and things like that you know they wanted how much interest there really was we don't know based on what they wanted to do if they did sign us how much control they had you know, in other words, we could have signed with them and they could have held on to our release for right. five years. So we signed with a smaller record label called Reality Records and we put out one record. And then when that band disbanded um, in LA, uh, I stayed and, you know, started playing with other musicians and met more people and did a few session jobs. And then I ended up playing with this folk singer, Frank. She had been signed to Island Records. And she was the first openly gay woman that, um, Got signed to a major label. So it was kind of a, uh, you know, it sort of put her on the map in a different way than just the music, even though she was a really great singer. Um, and then I did a little tour with her and um, we did some shows. We actually did a run in New York for a while. We were there for like three weeks doing an, like an off Broadway, you would call it, but it was music, but it was sort of like um, she did this whole Neil Diamond take. And uh, it was just hilarious, but it was good. You know, it was really fun. Um, did that. And then uh, from there, after that tour, I came back to L.A. and um, joined a few other bands, um, did a lot of demo work. And then I met this Irish singer who I mentioned earlier, Anne-Marie Cohen. And her and I uh, started writing songs together. And eventually, she had a band. And I played bass in her band, but I was also her co-writer for a lot of her songs. And then we, uh, she got a deal with Warner Chapel, and through that, we started to get songs in film, television. So it was kind of fun. I mean, we got to actually, you know, uh, watch the whole process of recording and giving it to film or TV, and uh, we did that for about four years together. Um. And then she went back to Ireland and she still actually performs to this day. She's, I think she's doing uh, uh, videos now where she's editing and producing. But um,
1: yeah. Yeah. That sounds like, that sounds like an LA life as a musician. Yeah. I love, I love how musicians, especially in LA, especially in LA can do session work or they can work on film or they can work on commercials, but then they can be in the, you know, then they're playing in their band on the weekend and, or at night in the clubs and, uh, touring. it just, I don't know, it seems like there's a lot, uh, if you if you hustle and you're good and you really want it, you are you can find work as a musician and make a living.
3: And I was living on the beach, which you cannot be. So, <laughs>
1: you were actually literally <laughs> living on the beach?
3: I was living on, well, I was not, not, not in the sand. I
1: was <laughs> out of on a tent or anything.
3: But I had a nice place on the beach that was like, uh, I, I was sharing, a uh, with the my missionaries member, band member, he had uh, gone on and done some solo stuff. um, And I played with him for a little while, Um, but we shared a place on the beach. And I mean, you know, you could hear the waves out of your window at night, you know, and uh, it was just, it was a really, really fun time. I look back on it very fondly. It was good times.
1: Well, we're going to, we're going to actually now, now we're going inland. We're going to take you to Nashville next. Yeah. Um, and so stay with us. I, we've got to actually take a quick break. We will come right back, and let me tell you what you're going to go to break with. We um came in with uh, Devil Chase, and we're going out with Bloom of a Rose. I really like this song. My special guest today, JoJo Foot. He's a music artist, songwriter, session player, JoJo Foot Band on Facebook. You can find him at JoJo Foot Band. And foot is spelled F O O T E on Instagram at JoJoFoot98. On Bandcamp, JoJoFoot. He plays vocals, bass, and guitar. He's BMI affiliated and he's published, authored, and co wrote and recorded songs for Paramount, Disney TV, and Nickelodeon. And we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. <laughs>
4: 6 o'clock, when I got the call, from a nurse in St. Paul, her voice trembling, she said prepare your goodbyes, you don't have much time, so catch the next flight, better hurry
1: Every time by advertising on the Jeremiah show and get your message out on seven shows. We're always on the radio.
2: Hi there, this is Gray Delisle and I am promoting my brand new album. Uh, She's an angel and it comes out October 24th
1: C-A-R-E-S dot org. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Show. My very special guest today is JoJo Foot and the JoJo Foot Band. Listening to his music throughout the show here, we've been traveling through some of the cities and towns that he's lived in his life, and the, going over the milestones. And each one of those, um, we're now going over in mid. We're going. We're going what east? I guess we're going east into into the country, to Nashville. So. Real quick, I visited Nashville once on my way to Memphis and Graceland, and I spent a night, you know, popping in and out of the music venues. And I've always wanted to go back and spend, you know, more time there. There's so such great music, such great clubs, and history. But I remember Graceland more clearly. It was a bright, sunny day, blue skies, not a cloud anywhere in sight, and the walls of Graceland were stark white. And there was broken glass embedded on the stucco on the top of the wall, probably to keep out the droves of Elvis fans who had made the pilgrimage to see his home and jump the wall. Discouraged them, I guess, to jump the wall. The staff was, uh, was protesting out front. They were all African-American. And they were walking up and down in front of the gate at Graceland with signs. One of them shoved a handwritten, very poorly spelled flyer into my hand. And from what I could make out of it, they were very mad at Priscilla Presley for some reason. <laughs> they felt they weren't being treated fairly, and they wanted everyone to know. And I couldn't help feel uncomfortable, sorry for them and on their side, and a little bit ashamed, even though I didn't know what was wrong. And but I felt a bit, little bit ashamed to be there at that exact moment. And it just always struck out, stuck out to me that Graceland and uh, what happened that day. But me and my friend climbed the wall and we stood high above the picketing staff and our eyes took in Graceland from both sides of the wall. Jojo Foote moved to Nashville from Los Angeles and he recorded his new EP there. Jojo, welcome back. Tell us about your Nashville and your Tennessee experience.
3: Well, yeah, to clarify, I didn't move there, but I spent some time there to do my recording, uh, the latest one there. Um, how that happened was uh, uh, my producer, Jeff Trott, for this session. Um, I've known Jeff for years. We we'd worked together on a session in L.A. Um, anyway, he's also from San Francisco area, too. So um, we went back a few years. Um, I wanted to do another single uh, that I had been thinking of recording back there anyway but i wanted him to produce it so i got in touch with him and at first i thought maybe i haven't come to la and we could do it out here he says well i got a better idea why don't you come to nashville so i did so i went out to nashville i stayed with jeff and uh he produced my latest single and we used uh you know some members from cheryl Crow's band miranda lambert eric church um just great the best of the best of the national session guys in fact uh uh my guitar player was named guitar player of the year like three times in a row his name is rob mcnelly look him up he's he a fabulous guitar player great guy too um we have billy Justino on keyboards he's eric church's uh, musical director and keyboard player and then uh of course i played bass and some guitar and uh Fred Eltringham was the drummer who's played with everybody from, at least with Cheryl Crow right now, but he's been with uh, originally with the Wallflowers before that. And uh, Dixie Chicks um, played with Ringo Starr uh, on a TV special, um, just played with everybody. And he is the sweetest guy. So it just came about uh, by Jeff assembling these players. So we got to hang out for a while and get to be friendly and, and um, just came up with some really great recordings and they are probably playing some of them now, but um, it was a great experience and I'm hoping to go back in 2024. Actually, I will be going back in 2024. We just haven't finalized the dates to do uh, a new recording. So I'm looking forward to that.
1: So how did well, you live in Sonoma right now? Right. And yeah. when did you move from Los Angeles to Sonoma?
3: Well, after the, Okay, so after the L.A., I just kind of burned out on L.A. Like everybody eventually kind of does if they're not from there.
1: Yep. Living on the beach was all nice. No, nope, nope. I love it, but I don't live there. So what does that say? <laughs> oh, you don't. Man. That's yeah. okay. No, I mean, I can love it, but I don't live there. So, I mean, I obviously don't love it that much.
3: Well, I, I, my plan was to live there for three years and it turned into 12, almost 12. So um, I just got to the point where um we had some friends that lived up in sonoma county and we used to visit them all the time and loved it and i always thought someday i'm going to come up here and this is kind of where i wanted to live even you know just it was like it was a place i've always dreamed about living anyway i can always go what? to la if i need to do a session but
1: so i am right up yeah It's always going to be there and you can get to the big cities, but yeah, Sonoma is beautiful. I have one of the best days of my life ever in Sonoma, but I'm not, I don't have time to tell it on this, on this show, but it's so beautiful. And, but describe, and we don't have a lot of time. I've got three minutes left with you and it's gone too fast, but tell me about your Sonoma and then what about Sonoma for people that haven't been there? Like what, what inspires you creatively, creatively, Hmm, like,
3: um there's not as many distractions that i that i think living in la can kind of bring um there's not a lot of, of a big music scene up here believe it or not it's it's not a big music scene um but it's artistic um of course if you like wine i'm not a big wine drinker but i like it um but that wasn't the reason i came up here but it really does give you that kind of solitude in a way. It's just so beautiful and it inspires you to write, you know, what I think is good stuff. <laughs> but it just, yeah, it's, it's kind of an inspiring place to, to live and to just be at peace with a lot of things. It's, just, it's not the hustle and bustle of L.A. or New York.
1: Yeah, it is. It really is. And, uh, you know, and tragically, and I know we don't have enough time to tell this story, but you lost... Half of your guitar collection. If you're watching the YouTube video, or if you if you're listening, go to the YouTube video. Um, but JoJo has his guitars hanging behind him. Some of them you lost half of them in a fire in the Sonoma fires.
3: Yeah, maybe. we did. Yeah, the whole house, the studio, everything went up. But uh, we've rebuilt since it was five years ago. But we're good now. And uh, in fact, the song "Devil Chase" is partially written about that experience. So if anybody's listening, it's kind of a. Mm, off color but it's the the lyrics tend to kind of like draw from that experience
1: well we're going to go to break we're going to end the show today with your new single that you're here to talk about and um it's plain sight do you want to set that up for us at all
3: yeah uh plain sight uh recorded in nashville and uh it's a song that's basically uh sort of about the climate it's sort of an apolitical political song in a way because i don't really get into the the structure of politics when it becomes you know people screaming at each other and plain sight is like it's getting hard to hide in plain sight these days where you just want to be kind of like left alone but you gotta you gotta have an opinion on everything it seems like so i'd rather just sort of like you know just go about my business but not hide from it but you know not be bothered by the the constant uh you know vitriolic Attacks that political parties have, and religious parties have, and everybody else has towards one another these days—they can't just simply disagree and move on. So, I'd rather just hide in plain sight and go about my business and make good music.
1: I think that's a that's a smart plan. I like that, Jojo Foot. Man, it's been a good uh, good hour to get to know you for the first time, and you're now a family with the show here. So, I hope we get to see you and you come back often with more great music. Again, we're going to go to uh, we're going to play plain sight for you right now, and I'm going to give you final words, Jojo. Do you have anybody you want to thank or any final thoughts?
4: Uh, well, I want to
3: thank you, Jeremiah, because I have got to say something to the listeners. You're crazy not to listen to this man. He's one of the best interviewers. He's kind. He's polite. He doesn't try to trap you with weird questions. He gets to the bottom of it, and he makes you feel good when you're being interviewed. So I'd like to say thanks to Jeremiah and the Jeremiah show.
1: I said I was gonna let you have final words, but I lied. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> that was very sweet. I can't let I can't let it go without saying thank you so much, Judge. That was very kind of you to say My and, pleasure. And, and uh we just didn't have enough time, but I did have some weird questions for you. <laughs> <laughs> Darn. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you for your music and the gift of your music and for your stories today and sharing a little bit of your life with us. Again, here we are. And I'm going to quit talking. Plain sight. Enjoy.
4: Get out while you still Get can. While you still can. Hey, what's your game? Don't want to play that way. I've got you figured out head to toe. Can't say what's on my mind, you'll cut me down to size, run me off the road. It's on the front page news, somebody's after you, the evidence is in your hands. Better stop and think, that boat you're in will sink. get out while you still can. Political, sick of choosing your side.
0: or on Messenger, on Facebook, or Instagram. The Jeremiah Show is produced by executive producer Jeremiah Higgins and me, your announcer, Tony Kelly. Communicate, listen more, and evolve.
5: My name's Danny Dreho. Jeremiah, your loved, Holmes. You're so cool.
2: You're so cool, you're so cool.